There was a book put out a few years ago called This is Christianity. And in that book, it told the story of a, a world-renowned cosmetic surgeon. Um, his name was uh, Dr. Maxwell Martz. Am I close on that? Um, Pam, I lost my sermon. Could you find it for me? It's up here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Uh, the, the guy was sitting there, and a woman came in. She began to tell the story of her husband. Her husband, uh, when he was a teenager. Thank you, sweetheart. You okay? Yeah. This is my beautiful wife, Miss Pam. Uh, but she came in there. Uh, her husband had tried to rescue his mom and dad when he was 19, 20 years old. Uh, he went into this burning house, and despite his best effort, he could not save them. And for, uh, in spite of his you know, second and third degree burns over about 89% of his body, especially his face, uh, he spent the rest of his middle, middle age, uh, up to about 43, where he, was just, he kept himself in isolation. He blamed himself for the death of his mom and dad because he couldn't go in and, and save them. And his, his damage was so extensive. I mean, it would have taken a really good surgeon, but this was a really good surgeon. Um, but the guy, wouldn't, the guy wouldn't have any surgery because he thought, I earned this. I deserve this. I deserve it to be horribly grotesque because I couldn't save my mom and dad. Thank you, sweetheart. You've got two different sermons there, don't you? i got two sermons going on. This ought to be fun. We'll get through it. Um, and the woman said, uh, the, 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 the cosmetic surgeon looked at her and he said, well, I, I could help your husband. She said, no, I'm not here for him. I want you to disfigure me. I want you to make my face look like his. Because I want to be back in fellowship with my husband. I want to be back in, I want to be back into that relationship with him. And if he won't, if he doesn't want to get fixed, then I'm going to, I want to become scarred like him because I love him that much. And a story like that, of course, I mean, it, it, it melted Dr. Maltz's heart, but he couldn't do that. He couldn't jack up her face. But it, the compassion that she had and the love for her husband, um, he spent the better part of the last part of his uh, professional career trying to help them get through it with counseling and things like that. You know, in our mind's eye, we can imagine how jacked up that guy's face must have been. But you know, in, 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 real, in, real, in a very real sense, all of us are, are kind of grossly disfigured because of sin. We have been, we've been jacked up. We have been bruised and battered. We've been killed. In fact, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We're not just jacked up. We're dead. And Jesus loves us so much he came down to us and became disfigured himself. He became horrible, horribly, grotesquely impacted by our sin. Why? For the same reason the woman wanted to have her face operated on. Because she wanted to be in fellowship, relationship with her husband. Jesus came to us and suffered all that stuff because he wanted to be in relationship with us. He wanted to be in fellowship with us. In fact, that's really the heart of the gospel. It's about us being back in fellowship with God and us being back in fellowship with one another as, as Christians. Uh, Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, and Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. That's our sin, our lying, our lust, our hate, our greed. 
pride, arrogance, you name it. He, he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He became totally disfigured because he loves you and me. And by his wounds we are healed, thank God. And while we're waiting for, for Jesus to come back and to heal the world the way he's healed our heart, while we're waiting for Jesus to return, we're not just out here by ourselves. We're not out here on an island. This is not a solo mission. This is not one of those things that we're in isolation about. While we're waiting for the Lord's return or we're waiting to go to him in the air, or whether we're waiting to go to him when we die. While we're waiting, we are a part of a community. And that community that we're a part of is a church. And all of us in this room are horribly disfigured by sin. There's no one in here that's better looking than anybody else because we have all had that sinful encounter that's just kind of plastered us up against the wall. So here we are, this ragamuffin uh, bit of repentant, regenerate renegades that are a part of a church. And nowhere in Scripture do we find the Christian life to be where, you know, Jeff is doing his own thing and he's out by himself or Linda's doing her own thing. She's out by herself. In Scripture, the only picture we really get is this collective community of people like you and I who are horribly disfigured, but because of Jesus, we've been brought into a community. The Bible says, and we read the better part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week, but I want to I refresh your memory. The body is a unit. We are a whole. We are a collective. We are an assembly. We are an ecclesia. Uh, though it is made up of many parts, some people can sing, some people can evangelize, some people can work in the kitchen, some people can pass out a cup of coffee, some people can do this, that, or the other. All of us have many parts, and though all the parts are many, they form one body. We need everybody together to do this. So it is with the body of Christ. There is an interconnectedness. We're all connected in some way uh, as, as Christians in this church body. We're all sisters in this local body, but we're also brothers and sisters with the Methodist church down the road. We're also brothers and sisters with the, with the Lutheran church down the road. We're brothers and sisters with any church down the road that embraces Jesus as Lord and Savior, that says that He is the Messiah, believes the Word of God. There is that commonality. It brings us together. It's who we are. And the thing is, when we come together in a group like this, uh, we can, if, if every one of you in this room was singing a different song this morning when we first kicked off, that would have sounded horrible. You know what I'm saying? We all had to be on the same sheet of music. Uh, we did a count last night here on the stage. There's six strings. There's, 10, no, there's 12 strings. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Chris, you got six. Uh, that puts us at 22 strings on the stage. Uh, when we were singing today, there were 22 different strings playing. If one of those strings is out of tune, the, music, the musicians up here, we realize it. We, we'll say, hey, Mike, you need to tune your B string, or Chris, you need to change, or you need to, to tune your, your, uh, your, your A string. Vic, you need to change, uh, tune your E string. We say tune, 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 tune. But the thing is, let's say B. B note is always B. Whether you're in China or whether you're in here, B has a perfect pitch. There is a level, a pitch that is, that is B. That's the tone. That's the note. That's the sound. Now, if my B notes uh, tuned to that and Chris's B notes tuned to that and Vic's is tuned to B, we're all going to be in harmony. We're all going to be at 440. We're all going to be at standard. But if we have different things that we are tuned to, it's going to sound like garbage. We can have 100 people in this room this morning all singing the same songs. And not just a key or a note, not just the literal music. But church, if we come in here and every single one of us is focused in on Jesus, our frequency is tuned into the heart of God, that's where we can start having worship. 
Because at that point, we are all tuned in to the same level. We are all tuned in to the same frequency. We're literally all on the same page of music. When we come to church, it is about Him. It's not about tuning in our dream, tuning in our agenda, tuning in to what we want, but it's part of this collective of renegade, repentant believers that we're a part of. Now, where we come into trouble when we deal with the church is when we think that, that uh, we're the most important important person here where we think that we're the most important person in the room but if we have a hundred different people who are who are not singing their own song but singing singing the one song and we're in harmony with Jesus man that's where the beautiful stuff begins to happen that's where the uh, incredible things begin to start in a church when we are together when we are uh, in unity and when we're all singing uh, when we're all singing together hey Pam this is going to be great I have no idea where all my notes are this is my fault? I don't know. Y'all might be getting out early. Somebody said amen. God, God get them. One set was in order. Do I have a copy of that thing here in the book? All right. Let's just, you got a copy back there? Let me see what you got. Kelsey, ever since you left, this whole thing just went to pot. Can't find good help nowhere. Already hit that. We don't need that no more. Okay. Don't need that no more. All right. Yeah, okay. I've got seven pages and I'm already down to three. You're welcome. Uh, the more we focus in on Christ, the more our differences will begin to fade into the background. The less we focus in on us, the more we focus in on Him. Lots of these little things that we have trivialities over or any type of, of squabble over, they just kind of fade into insignificance. The Bible says in John 17, verse 23, uh, Jesus is saying, here's the pitch that you tune to. Here's it. I in them and you in me. There is where we're tuning to. That's our B pitch. So that they may be brought to complete unity. So they can be in harmony. So they can be together. Let them tune themselves to us. To me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as uh, you have loved me. Our main goal is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus daily. If we would do that as a church and as Christians, man, a million problems would be solved in a second inside the church. If we just put Jesus first and pursued him first. The psalmist wrote it like this, Psalm 133, verse 1. It is good and pleasant when God's people live together in peace. And it is. It definitely is. St. Paul wrote it like this. And he really gives the two different tones you can tune your heart to. It's good and pleasant when... I'm sorry. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. When you do... Uh, when you do things, do not let selfishness be what you tune to or pride be what you tune to. Uh, don't let that be your guide. Instead, let humility... Be your, your, your pitch pipe, your, your, your tuning fork. Give more honor to others than you do yourself. Don't be interested only in your own life, what you want, but be interested in the lives of others. What we're seeing there is literally the definition of, of who we are as a community of faith, who we are as a church. Ephesians verse 4 through 3, uh, when Paul tells us in Philippians to, to, to keep the unity, we're, 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 we're told here in this very text, what's the secret of the unity in the church? Last week we talked about why the church this week we're going to talk about, okay, what's that, church look, uh, what's that church look like? The unity of the Spirit. Church, say unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that brings unity to a church. It's not you, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. 
There is the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit brings the unity to the church. So a church that's constantly always fighting, a church that's always bickering, or maybe it's a disgruntled person that's always bickering or criticizing, I can promise you this. Yeah, there could be an interpersonal relationship issue, but I promise you this. There's a Holy Spirit problem. Because if, there is, uh, because if the Holy Spirit is present in what we're doing, the idea of disunity or division doesn't exist because the Spirit of God operates in a spirit of unity. The Holy Spirit brings us together. While the church is a divine creation, it was started in the heart of God. It's here to, to win people to Jesus. It's here to give us community. Um, although the church started in the heart of God, it was launched in Pentecost 2,000 years ago. It's people like you and me. Ain't nobody in this room good. No, not one. Just to quote the scripture, just so you know. None of us are good. None of us, no, not one. And this is the church that we're made up of. Broken people like us. Selfish people like us. Arrogant people like us. People who think that, you know, their way is right and everybody else is wrong or or things like that. I mean, me included. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just telling you. I mean, we've all, we we all have things that we're not, we're just not perfect. Some of us have thin skin. Some of us have thick skin. And we have to get along in this, in this community, in this church. Uh, so how do we do that? Again, I'm going to take us right back to the Holy Spirit. It's nothing we can manufacture on our own. We can't be good enough leaders or good enough pe- good, uh, people, uh, people, people, uh, a people person. We can't be a good enough people person to get along with everybody. We need the Holy Spirit to do that in the church. The church, nor we... Uh, will ever be perfect until we go to him or he comes back to us. Now, a couple weeks, last week we did a Greek lesson, and you guys just you just rant and raved about it. You said, oh, preacher, thank you so much for teaching us the Greek. That was wonderful. I'm lying. Not one person said that. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's important. Uh, last week we learned the word kurios, which means belonging to the Lord. And that was one of the words that's used in the New Testament for the church. We also learned the word ekklesia, which means a group or a gathering. So... Between those two words, the church is a gathering of people who belong to God. Kurios, ecclesia. Those are those two New Testament words. We're going to add one more word to that today. The word we're going to add is koinonia. Koinonia is a word that's used to describe the church, but not just the church, but really the atmosphere that the church is supposed to have, the environment that is supposed to be uh, within the church. Uh, we're told to have uh, koinonia with one another, uh, but we're also toward, uh, told to have koinonia uh, with the Holy Spirit. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, and also in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. The purpose of the gospel is to bring people into fellowship. Church, say fellowship. The Greek word for that is koinonia. Would you say koinonia? Koinonia is fellowship. Well, how many the last time you used the word fellowship in a sentence? Fellowship of the ring. Thank you, nerd. Um, <laughs> do you ever say fellowship in a sentence? I don't. So I, I, I don't know what it is, really. I, I, I wanted to tune it in a little bit. Um, so I, I go back to what the Bible says is fellowship. This is what the Bible says. First John 1, verse 3, 6 and 7. We announce to you, we announce to you that we have been seen and heard because we want you also to have the word there that I have a bold, in bold letters, it's the Greek word koinonia. 
that new word we added to our, our Greek vocab list today. That fellowship with us. Our fellowship, our koinonia is with God and the Father and with the Son. Our fellowship is with God, Jesus Christ. So if we say we have fellowship with Him, but we continue to live like hell, and we're liars, and we don't follow the truth, and we get away from the book that we're living our life uh, with, we get away from the Word of God, We are liars and we don't follow the truth. Basically, we're not in fellowship with the other church members. We're not in fellowship with God. But if we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can share koinonia. We can share fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. Now, when we think of, of, of koinonia, or at least, at least I do, I think koinonia is that feeling we get when, I come, when we come to church and we feel welcomed and we feel wanted and we feel like we're a part of the collective. Oh, we're a part of the group. Uh, this is where I belong. That's my church. Those are my people. That's where I grew up. Yada, yada, yada. We think that that's, that's koinonia. And it is to a certain extent. It is that feeling of community. But it's more than that. It's more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's more than just loving your church. Koinonia also involves being involved in the church, serving in the church, contributing to the church. Oh, preacher, you're just making that up so the offerings will get bigger. No, whether you get, well, you know, it doesn't matter what the, the offerings are. I don't get a percentage cut, okay? Just probably, some of you are new here, just know that. You know, I'm on salary just like y'all are, you know. Um, when I say contribute to the church, contributing is part of your discipleship. It's part of, it's part of how you, you live your life for Jesus. Um, koinonia, is a feel, uh, koinonia is a feeling of being welcomed and wanted in the church, but it's more than that. Um, Romans 15, 26. I'm going to show you the Greek on this. This is, this is the Greek translation of, of the text. And really what I, show, what I want to show you is that word I have highlighted. That's actually the word koinonia. And you're saying... Man, there's a V in there, Mike. It's not koinonia. That V is actually the Greek letter new, and it makes the N sound. And, I mean, if you could look at it, you can see where we get the word koinonia from. Um, but the koinonia there is not translated as fellowship the way it was earlier. Because there's more to koinonia than the feeling of, of being friends. There's more to koinonia than just being family. This is how this verse is translated I want you to notice, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a what? Oh, listen to him, Miss Pam. They make a what? The word for contribution, you want to know what it was? Koinonia. It talked about fellowship earlier, but now this is something that we can touch, we can count, we can there is a contribution for the poor among the, the saints in Jerusalem, that church there. Uh, another instance, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. And I'm, I'm going to show you that this, this, this is how it was originally written in the Koine Greek. You see those words, Koine, Koine. This is how they're used. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. This is what it means in English. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing? That's the word koinonia. There's a fellowship there, yes, but there's also a, contrib a contribution there. There is a sharing there. It's more than just feeling welcome. It's about making people feel welcomed. It's about helping other people along the way. Uh, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? That word sharing is also koinonia. Uh, one more, uh, one more. Philippians 1.5. There's that word, koinonia. This thing's been translated fellowship, contribution. It's been translated as uh, sharing. How else can this, this is a very versatile word. How else can it be translated? 
Philippians 1.5. I've shown you the Greek. Let me show you what that means. Because of your partnership with the gospel. That too is koinonia. From the first day until now. Fellowship's hard to get our mind around. You know, to me, a guy who grew up thinking fellowship meant it's time to eat. That's the fellowship hall. We've got a whole room for nothing but eating. I think we understand that aspect of it better than the aspect of koinonia being sharing, contributing, and partnering. Because those three things cost us something. We've got to do something. Our actions are influenced by the people we hang out with. And, and that's why it's important that when we're in this church, it's important that the younger generation sees the older generation working. And it's important that the older generation brings the younger generation along. Not just in feeling that church is important or just not feeling that church is necessary, but the actual ministry and service of the church is also necessary. It's not just showing up and putting in the time, but it's coming alongside and picking up a towel and serving. Church. Koinonia is both the unity of the church and whatever is brought out by the church. It's not just the unity of the church, but it's the actions that are brought out by being in Koinonia. It's a feeling and an action. I've never been to a church where everybody's walking in the same direction. Never been in a church where everybody's working on the same mission. It's hard. Um, what, what do you do with people who, who don't want to walk in unity? That don't want to walk in unity. What do you do with church members who, who refuse to travel hand in hand without seeing eye to eye? How, how do you operate like that? Um, I'm going to give you some tough verses, but you need to know something about the Bible. The Bible is the book that I've chosen to live my life by. Okay, I believe every word of it. Uh, it doesn't do me any good to argue with it. Um, if I argue with it, then it's really not the book that I'm choosing to live by. I'm just going to take the text as it is. And I encourage you to do the same thing. This is how Paul told the early church how to deal with people who refused to walk in unity, to, to try to keep that koinonia, that, that, that family. Brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, and guys, I'm, we're not talking about speeding tickets and crap like that. We're, I mean, we're, you look in Scripture, the only time some, I mean, the time people are disciplined in church, there was some guy hooked up with like his mother-in-law or something. I mean, it was nasty. And I think some churches discipline people way too quick. Uh, I, don't, I don't get involved with it. Maybe I'm in disobedience. Maybe I'm not. But uh, I think that these are things that, are, that you put on the side. And if you're going to practice them, then be very careful how you do it. I tell you all that because, to me, we get all wrapped up in that. Oh, when do we discipline? Who do we discipline? Who decides who to discipline? Put that aside. We can argue about that, and we don't get anywhere. Here's the question I began to ask myself with these texts. Am I being, some, am I being the type of person that my, my church needs me to be? Am I being the type of person that my church needs me to be? That's a good witness to the body of Christ. It's a good witness for the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, you who are spiritual should go to that person and gently help, help, him, uh, help make him right again. 
But be careful because you might be tempted to sin too. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of God. The early church dealt with sinful people. The early church dealt with sinful members. The early church, it didn't tolerate everybody going in their own direction. They, they were pulling in the same, uh, the same boat, uh, the same way. Uh, Jesus, even, Jesus even weighed in on this. And this is in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, and this is the, 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 the totality of the teaching that he's giving. I, I'm going to bring in verse 8, then I'm going to skip down to verse 17, but it's all part of the same teaching. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, don't ignore it. Do something about it. Cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose part of your body and live forever than to have two hands and two feet be thrown into the fire and burns forever. I think that Jesus was talking hyperbole there. I don't think he's talking about self-mutilation, okay? We're not stupid. 17, if the person who's messed up refuses to listen to them. These are Jesus' words, words in red. Who do you tell? You go to that person privately. You say, hey, man, uh, what's up? What gives? They don't listen to you, then what? He refuses to listen. Tell the who? Tell the who? You see, even Jesus had a thought on this. Jesus said, it's not enough just to let the wild, wild west go on in the church. If you're a part of the church, then live a holy life. And if you're going to be a part of the church, then, then act like you're a Christian. If you're going to be a part of the church, then, then do that. And, and if the church, uh, if they won't listen to the church, if he refuses to listen to the church, then treat him like a person who doesn't believe in God or who's like a tax collector. I grew up thinking that that meant I had to treat them like the enemy. I had to treat them like somebody who hates me. I have to treat them like somebody who is just dead outset against me and the cross and things like that. But that's actually false. The way we treat lost people and the way we treat people who are living in sin, if you want to know how we treat them we treat them exactly the way Jesus did we love them when we discipline people here in other words like, oh, I think like in 22 years like maybe once and that was valid it's not about getting rid of somebody it's not about putting a muzzle on somebody it's not about uniformity it's about unity but if the division is in the church that's causing a disruption what we're told in scripture is do something about it don't ignore it. It's like, you know, if you, you have cancer, you go to the doctor. And, you know, if your doctor said, I oh, don't worry about it, it ain't no big deal. It's just cancer. It's only malignant. <laughs> you would change doctors. Get this out of me. A disgruntled member of a church can very much be like a cancer. Because it causes division. It causes sickness. It causes illness. And what we see in Scripture so far by St. Paul and by Jesus, he says, do something about it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5.12. It's not my business to judge those who are not of the church. God will judge them. But you must judge the people who are a part of. Boy, that stinks. The Scripture says you must get rid of the evil person among you. Now, y'all, I don't, I don't, I don't, I give you all that simply because as I'm going into this message, uh, as I'm going into this series, it just fits to where we were on the heels of last week where the church started. Now we're looking at how does the church look now. Uh, the chronically contentious member serves to undermine the spirit of the church. They're always looking at the fault, always looking at what's wrong, always looking at that, uh, what's messed up. It, it, it does hurt. Now that one, Again, unity is not uniformity. And uh, I'm not one of those people who think that, you know, the pastor is, is the, 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 you know, the authority of the church. He's the shepherd of the church, but the Word of God is the authority of the church. Uh, Jesus is the authority of the church. He's the head. Uh, those who refuse correction 
must be corrected or removed in order to protect the unity of the fellowship. It's never easy when somebody goes. But sometimes when people go, sometimes it's okay. Um, when I got 50 years old, I, I have what the dentists call yuck mouth. And I'm losing teeth left and right. I was eating an orange, orange jelly slice, and I lost a tooth. Got on the phone, and so help me God. I went to the dentist yesterday, and she fixed my tooth, and I was ready to pay $150. She said, oh, this one's on the house. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what, every 10th visit's free, you know, or something like that? Are you keeping track? Uh, but this is, this, this is what I know. As soon as they take that rotten tooth out, Jeffrey, I feel better. I feel I can go back to eating. I can go back to, to drinking iced tea. I can drink the hot stuff, the cold stuff. I can eat what I want. But I couldn't do that as long as that rotten tooth was in there. Church, I've seen this in my own ministry. Sometimes when a rotten, minist- when a rotten member is removed, things get better. And sometimes it's a rotten preacher, but things get better. Everybody needs to go to church. But if they're at the church causing problem, it's a bad tooth. And it causes division in the whole body. Richard Richard Baxter said, an aching tooth is better out than in. To lose a rotten member is a gain. That's really not what this sermon's about, but I wanted to throw it out there to you because um, one of these days, you're going to have to remember that. And I wanted to give it to you. Um, If one or two members are making phone calls or private conversations about him or her they're stirring the pot they're causing trouble uh it does affect the whole body it's like a cancer man just does uh so you have the doctor remove it so you can be healthier so you can live longer um all right i think that's enough i've hurt you guys enough today i do know this the sermon that that i preached today it's just as hard to preach it is to listen to Um, because these are all things we struggle with. There's been times that I've not been the pastor I should have been. There's been times when I've not been the Christian I should have been. And I've just got to assume, I assume a lot of things. But I assume everybody in this room could say the same thing. I've not always been the Christian I should be. But church, that's why we're together in this community. Because we know we're all messed up. Because we know that we all fail and we all struggle. And that's why we love each other. There's a verse, I think, that says that love covers a multitude of... Yeah. So, church, I encourage you, protect, protect, protect the community. Protect the koinonia. And you don't do that by keeping people away. I'm going to tell you, keep that by keeping yourself straight. Keep that by keeping your head towards the Holy Spirit. Realize that he is, He's the one that brings us together. If I could have every head bowed, every eye closed... Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, this morning, I, I want you to think about the times in your own life, maybe in, the own, maybe in your own time in this church, or maybe another church. Maybe you're just, you know, maybe you're new, newer here. Some of you need to repent for, for the way you've treated the Capital C Church. You've just not been here. You've gotten away from it. Maybe you were mad at it. I don't know. Maybe a church let you down in the past. Maybe a pastor let you down in the past. Maybe a Christian let you down in the past. Maybe you haven't taken the 
idea of Koinonia serious enough into this church. Church, if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This is one of those messages I get to the end of it and say, okay, now what? Because the, the real proof of, of whether this message sinks in or not is really in how we behave as members from this point forward. But today, if you could very confidently say, hey, Brother Mike, What's past is what's past is past. I can't do anything to change my past, but I can change the way I'm going forward. I can change the way I'm progressing as a member in this church. And I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep the coin and A. I'm gonna keep the fellowship. I'm gonna keep the family. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to keep the peace. And today if the Holy Spirit's revealed something into your heart. And you're going to do your best to try to keep the community in this church. Part of that's by coming. Part of that's by, by serving. But if you would recommit to, to the idea of koinonia, the idea of fellowship and serving, contributing and partnering, you just simply lift your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Hands all over the place. Cool. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, brother. Thank you in the back. Thank you, hon. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Y'all, let's sing that verse just as I am together. Let's just do that a cappella, okay? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to We had a special request this week for a song that uh, we do. Let's do Build a Boat. <laughs> 